matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. Don't make a bit of sense to me. If that's what being crazy is, then I'm senseless, out of it, gone down the road, wacko. But no more, no less. Welcome to Unhinged, episode number 10, recorded May 22nd, 2016. Today's topic stems from a real-life issue that occurred right before we started recording. As a matter of fact, uh, we're preempting our original topic with this one since it almost derailed the show. Uh, Doug, do you want to explain what happened? Yeah, let me first say, uh, just to... To clarify, this won't be the only topic of the show, uh, but it will be the opener, as it right. were. Yes. Um, well, basically, obviously, we know that I have several challenges to deal with on a daily, hourly, minute-to-minute basis. Mm-hmm. That, number one, is dealing with this horrendous disease and what it does to my brain the other thing is, as we've talked about, is if and when I get better, at least to the point of being, of having some semblance of a life, there's a lot of cleanup work to do uh, uh, socially with family, with friends, etc. Um, but there are other things involved, and uh, and it really hit me this morning. Um, you know, I, I've through all that I've been through and all the hardships, I've always worked through my disease. And I was working on Bay Street in a suit. Bay Street here is just like working on Wall Street, um, you know, making money that I had never imagined. And But it got to the point where I just couldn't make it throughout the day and keep that mask on. So I literally had to go and seek some serious uh, help, some intervention. Mm-hmm. And uh, having to do that, uh, I therefore had to go on to disability. Unfortunately, even though uh, Canada um, has free health care and I would not have been able to get the major brain surgery if I was in the States, um, they give you a monthly allotment. The problem is um, they just don't give you enough I live in a tax bracket that uh, my family in particular and even my friends just couldn't fathom. If I add up the earnings that I make through disability, uh, it comes to under $16,000. Per year. Per year. Yeah. And what is left after they take out rent is a net payment amount of $544 a month. Mm-hmm. So again, that, and, and I do get help with um, a nonprofit organization I've talked about, uh, and I get a supplemental uh, assistance of about, let's say, 300 to $400 a month, mm-hmm. depending on the length of the month. Now, even with that figured in, I still fall below the poverty line. Hmm. So there basically just giving you enough to possibly make it to the end of the month. Mm-hmm. I woke up this morning um, further realizing that I had 16 cents to my name. Don't forget, with all the years of hell and dysfunction, 
-hmm. I have no savings. I have bad credit. So, you know, uh, I'm stuck with what I have right now. And when I say it, you know, and people hear this, I think the guys in Toronto, Canada, making less than 16,000 a year, how the hell does that guy survive? So, um, anyways, I woke up with that. I was sitting, waiting to kind of dreading the podcast in that I see one thing I knew is I knew that I had not fallen. The DBS was still working. I yeah. woke up at 6 a.m. in the morning. You know, that's insanity for me, but it happens every time that my mood improves. Mm -hmm. I woke up, I jumped out of bed like a rabbit right into the shower. You know, there was no just sort of who gives a crap. Let me just sit down and be all yeah. greasy and lazy and, so I knew the DBS was still okay. Somehow yeah. I knew that. But these these external factors and in in most sense it it, it has to do with money. Right. Um completely brought me down. A lot of it has to do with you know all these years having to never own anything, never been able to go out and buy something, never having that sense of control. And I lost all sense of control. So, you know, when you're trying to get better, you're trying to empower yourself. Yeah. And when you have no sense of control and God forbid, if you're watching TV and you see a subway commercial, you're thinking subway, although well, they're inexpensive and they're a good deal. And I couldn't even go out there and, and ask them for a tomato. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and so it sucked the life out of me and I called you and discussed it with you. And, uh, I ended up hitting my, my unconditional, amazing cousin Jay, uh, for a knee transfer so that I can get through the week. You talked me into it because my pride doesn't usually allow for it. Yeah. Um, and I'll tell you what, I, I went to the bank, you know, now when you do an e-transfer, at least within Canada and probably same when you're within the States, I mean, it's, it's real time. Mm -hmm. And I'm walking to the bank and as I'm walking this 10 minute walk, you know, my mood is improving and improving and improving. And I go to the bank. I have this ridiculous paper that means so much to people. And that in this case means everything to me. And I went and bought a sandwich and I and a couple of things that I needed and came back and lo and behold, uh, you're back in a better mood. I, I'm I'm back. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as if as if there was no drop off at all. You're kind of in a catch twenty two position because um, when we were discussing it this morning, I was like, well, you know, you could maybe go to some restaurant and get a busboy job or something like that, but then. What happens is as soon as you get employed, you lose your disability. Yeah, or you don't necessarily lose your disability, but you have to claim it. Right. You know, one key thing to, to realize and for people to realize is, uh, you know, I've been in many situations either being in the mental hospital or being in that completely dysfunctional uh, residence that I was in a year ago. I saw... Many, many people, a large percent of people just milking disability. Yeah. Uh, 
And I'm not one that can do that. I was not raised that way. Just asking for my uh, for money for my cousin this morning, you know, probably took 10 years out of my life. I mean, that's who I am. Right. And that's what we were discussing this morning um, when we were trying to figure out, well, how how can you supplement your income? Um, and, you know, going out and, and finding a job wasn't wasn't going to work for multiple reasons. You know, one is that you're still on the mend. You're still you're still not 100 percent. And holding down a job might actually the, the stress of that might actually be uh, counterproductive. Um well, the doctors even say it would certainly exacerbate the problem, but the key is that we need to find it's only been in 2013, it was three months of remittance. Now we can say it's it's a form of remittance, but it's only been a month. I need to, to see that it's been several months yeah. where I can maintain a certain mood to think about going back into the workplace, right. not anything to do with that I'm not motivated, that I'm not that I'm lazy because I'm the opposite of that, but it could be completely detrimental and actually take myself even worse uh, because for many reasons for mentally, for job hopping, for all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and I think one thing you can do, uh, and, and this is kind of trying to take the positive side of, of everything that happened this morning uh, is try to find a way to supplement your income using the talents you have. I looked into busking through the um, through the transit system, the transit authority here in Toronto. Um, number one, there's a two hundred dollar fee just to be auditioned, uh, which also pays for your registration, and then you could you may have to wait for a year, and so it it, it just it didn't work out. That's interesting because that. But it was a good idea on your part. Well, it sounds like because in my mind, busking always meant, hey, I can't really make money or I want to supplement my income so I I can play guitar. I'm going to go out on the street, open my guitar case, play and have people just, you know, donate money uh, and listen listen to me play. But apparently um, that's not really the case uh, there because they do auditions. You have to pay to get it. So in other words... It's not for people that are struggling. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's because it's a very big city and there is, it really is, it's kind of like New York City. You know, you have boroughs and, and, and there's a lot of income fluctuation. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of people who either being on disability or welfare or whatever or just can't provide for themselves are all trying to do that. And, yeah. um, it would be uh, an overabundance of buskers. Yeah. <laughs> so they had to set up some kind of rules. And, and maybe eventually I'll be able to do that. Uh, but for me to come up with $200 is, oh, yeah. um, is like me finding uh, you know, a pot of gold. Right. We actually chose this opening music, The Animals, uh, House of the Rising Sun, um, in honor of our guest and my uncle, uh, my first uncle, my best uncle, um, Murray Goldsmith, who taught me House of the Rising Sun on guitar. That was the very first song I ever learned, I think, at about 15 years old. Um, 
So thank you, Murray. I guess I just didn't believe in scales at that time. Oh, no, I still don't. Uh, <laughs> but let me give you a little bit of a, a brief um, uh, intro uh, because uh, my uncle is, is – is a master of the mind, and I think that's really inherently where I got it from. Um, but um, he's practiced as a motivational speaker. He, he has so many talents in the area. He's entertained audiences throughout North America for for many, many years. Um, you know, he's got a real stimulating, humorous way of talking, uh, especially about what he terms the power of your belief system, which he can explain to us a little bit. Um and uh, he also, of course, uh, specializes in stress management and motivation. Um, he uh, really has a great wit, and the combination is just automatically entertaining, no matter what uh, venue he performs at. Um, so he's performed as also as a hypnotherapist, and he founded the National Institute of Hypnotism. Uh, and so he studied the, the conscious and the subconscious mind, stress management, motivation, uh, and he's really gotten a lot of international acclaim for the things that he's done uh, that he did uh, before a lot of people did it. Uh, he's taught doctors, dentists, psychologists, psychiatrists, uh, the science of hypnosis. And I know, Ed, you have questions because I know it's a real interest of yours as well as uh, the magic side. Yeah, especially uh, the magic side. That's the part yeah. I'm really interested in. I, I always have loved magic. Yeah, I mean, besides all of that, on top of all of that, and I was obviously, of course, we were all entertained as kids because as a, he was a stage hypnotist, but he was also an accomplished magician. Uh, and he's performed record-breaking feats, uh, countless of them. Um, and he's appeared on over 100 television radio shows. Um, and um, he really can capture an audience uh, like nobody can. Um, so... There you have it. Uh, there's more to it, but uh, I am sure we'll learn more as we talk to him. Welcome, Murray. Well, thank you. Actually, uh, Doug says all those nice things about me because I did hypnotize him when he was a small child. <laughs> I was going to say that, that that was my very first experience. Um, you know, I was a real meek uh, kid with no confidence. I know he sensed that. and um you know based on the way i was parented and uh one i was completely afraid of the dark uh crying screaming and all i i, I remember it vaguely but i went to my uncle's house and he brought me down to the basement same level as the garage uh, and then he would drive me home afterwards and he put me under hypnosis and i woke up out of hypnosis it what seemed like a minute later and it was time to go. And he said, let's go. Let, let me take you home. And I led him into the garage, which was pitch black. <laughs> and I just let him in there and we just went. And it was over. And at that point, that's when he hypnotized you to make you think that he's the best uncle ever. No question about it. <laughs> well, I always I always do that. I mean, you know, and we're very much alike. And, and you know, he's an incredibly, incredibly witty guy. And uh, and and based on my psycho psychological issues, because I know, Ed, you have questions for him regarding his view on psychology and what hypnosis could do for, for mm -hmm. depressed people and whatever. But one of the things that is very, very typical of people who – uh, have especially neurological type of depression, uh, they end up um, urinating uh, in bed uh, very late in life. 
So I was, I think, already like 14 and I was still making in my bed. Hmm. Uh, and I don't know, Uncle Murray, if you could elaborate. Or, uh, I think my mother had called you to try and take care of it, right? Yeah. And you just did. So uh, no more uh, rubber sheets after that. How did that work? I mean, you, you just. Uh... I'll tell you how it all works. It's very, very simple. Our belief system is responsible for the results we have each and every day. And when we change our beliefs, we change our results. If you believe that you no longer have a bedwetting problem, then you don't. Right. It's that mm -hmm. simple. Most people wet the bed going to bed worried that they're going to wet the bed. Right. So hypnosis really is a total concentration on any one given subject. Okay, now Murray, like based on that, now that's that would be pure psychology, right? In other words, if it's a neurological issue like my depression, the particular one is, or let's say Alzheimer's or Parkinson's, like you, you know, you can't talk to them from shaking. You know what I mean? So it, it's all psychology is what you're basing that on, right? When it gets into neurology, it's a different issue, right? Well. The psychology, hypnosis is a total state of relaxation. Mm -hmm. And when you are totally relaxed, we produce endorphins, our natural healing hormone. Yes. And it's, it's produced when you're laughing, when you're listening to good music, when you're totally relaxed, it's produced. Are you naturally more suggestible when you're in that type of a mood or state? No, you're in total control unless you believe you're not. <laughs> it's your belief system. You've got to remember that. In other words, if you don't believe that I can help you, then I can't. Right. Right. If I, if I believe, I remember you told me, you know, you taught me the first thing was that if I can believe you can hypnotize me, I can, you know, it's going to work. That's right. And, and then you went out and hypnotized your friend. Yeah, that was fun. I had a, a, a lot of fun having him running around the block and yeah. having his foot stuck to the floor. And yeah, he was very suggestible. <laughs> so th this this means. Uh, so one of my questions I have for you is that uh, some people always say, "I can't be hypnotized. My mind is too strong." So so basically, what you're saying is, if you actually say that, if you believe you can't be hypnotized, you can't be hypnotized. That's right. If you believe it, but I may change your mind. <laughs> I was just going to say, if anyone could do it, you could turn some of those people around, couldn't you? And, and if so, how would you do that? What would be an example of how you would do that? I spoke in Atlanta to 800 hypnotists who were in the audience. Uh -huh. And my, my subject was nonverbal hypnosis. And they didn't know what it was, but I had spoken the year before. So they, I came in and I, and I stood up and I said, what I want is 12 people that believe they can be hypnotized to come up on the stage. And I want 12 people who don't believe they can be hypnotized to come up on the stage. Right, and 24 right. people came up on the stage and I said, now I want you to close your eyes and I'm going to hypnotize you non-verbally. <laughs> and one by one, they went into a state of hypnosis Probably within three minutes, they were all in a state of hypnosis. 
And what took place there was even the people coming up on stage didn't understand why I would have them up there if I wasn't going to do it. You don't, <laughs> right. you don't do that in front of a crowd of people. So they sit in the chair. Now each one knows what it's supposed to feel like. And they're saying to themselves, oh, my head is getting heavier. He must be doing it. And when they hear the guy next to them go, they go. And it just becomes that the belief system makes it happen. I just want to say that, that, that you had a lot of balls to do that. And it just shows why I admired you so much because I was such a self-conscious kid, but you were just so incredibly uh, confident. Like you just knew what you knew was right. And, you know, to be able to do that and, and have those people just totally turned around. I, I didn't even have to be in the room for that. I could have left the room. It had nothing to do with me. It was their belief system. I convinced yeah. them. So you were going to yeah. give us another example. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was uh, walking through Placeville Marie in Montreal where I used to go for a haircut. And this cashier would never look at me because she was afraid if she looked at me, she would go into a state of hypnosis. <laughs> and I walked by once and her back was to me and I walked up to her and I tapped her on the shoulder. She looked at me, I said, sleep, and she fell to a clump <laughs> on the floor. Oh my God. It had nothing to do with me. <laughs> that's unbelievable. So that's our belief system again. And, you know, one of the things that, uh, that people have to understand is nothing goes to our subconscious unless we consciously put it there. Mm-hmm. And if we believe in something, we put that into our subconscious, it becomes automatic. And we've done that ever since we were two years old, probably yeah. before that. See, Ed, he's confirming exactly what I was saying about how we make those associations early on, and then they develop and they get, they get stronger and stronger. Right. It's, you, know, you see how he's putting it, and it's, it's really an interesting perspective. It is. And, and it's all in our belief system. We choose whatever we want to believe. Even if you don't think you believe it, you might still believe it. <laughs> People will say to themselves, I'm tough on myself. I'm hard on myself. Mm-hmm. Or I'm a worrier. Or just when everything goes great, I'll screw it up. And then we say that to our, our subconscious believes it like it's the absolute truth. Right. So a self-fulfilling prophecy. And we may have been saying that since we were three years old, except for one thing, that we don't stop when we're 17 and say, hey, I'm not a kid anymore. What do I believe? I'm not like right. that. We don't do that. And that's when Ed and I started when we first met in college. That's kind of where you know you become from a kid to a man and then you, you get stronger in those things. He did, but I did. You know, well, I'm not sure you didn't. Well, I have now, but, but, but I didn't then. Let me tell you what you, you had mentioned something before. And, I, and there is a quote from Sarah Dressen from Just Listen. I don't know if you've heard of her. But she says, music is a total constant. That's why we have a, such a strong visceral connection to it. Because a song can take you back instantly to a moment or a place, or even a person, no matter what else has changed in your life or your world, that one song says the same, just like that moment. Yep. And you can take yourself 
that's where we have to consciously turn around and do that for us. We have to consciously, if we're in a terrible mood, go and play some Chicago or whatever well, turns you on. That's where my problem is. Uh, and and hope maybe you can uh, shed some light. I mean, you know, yeah, for me, I mean, that makes the most sense for me because music is, is it, you know, for me. But when I'm in a really horrible state, I can't listen to it. I just will cry through it. But if I'm feeling good, it's like an orgasm. I mean, it's, you know what I mean? So uh, it's not like that for me. Yes. So you do have to change your mood before you go back to listen. There's no question. So I'm telling myself things before I listen to it that, oh, I'm not going to be able to deal with it. And it's all subconscious probably. Well, it's conscious first. Well, I never felt that sense of control. So like I, I did, I don't remember making a decision and then doing it, you know, as a typical thing. Now I'm doing it, but it took me a long time. Yes. And I'm noticing the changes and you are doing it. It's almost like, it's almost like the only time you don't do it is when you stop and say, I can't do it. Right. And, and don't ever say the word can't uh, in front of my uncle because uh, he just doesn't believe in the word. You remember when you, you kind of uh, paraphrased the Henry Ford quote, believe you can, believe you can't, either way you're correct. That's right. It's our belief system again. And if you believe you can, you just do it. And you just and you just have to, in my case, just work at it. But you know you're going to get there. Well, it's like people have come to me for different things, like smoking or drinking, and and they'll leave. And before they leave, I say, "Here's the thing I don't want you to say tomorrow morning. Don't say it's too good to be true. It can't last because mm-hmm. uh-huh. you're telling your subconscious it won't last. Too good to be true." Yeah, I'm going through that right now. Actually, he's funny. Uh, actually, can you, uh, because we have uh, a pretty decent Canadian uh, audience, can you tell uh, quickly the Gila Fleur story? Oh, he came to me for smoking. He would get off the ice and on the bench, he would smoke five, 10 cigarettes in a row. He'd have, always have a cigarette going. <laughs> they did that in the 70s. They had ashtrays behind the bench instead of Gatorade. Yeah. Yeah, and he asked me to help him stop smoking, and I didn't, because the Canadians were doing so well. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But you did, though, right? Yeah, well, I'll tell you something. People will sit down and have a cup of coffee and a cigarette to relax, and they're both stimulants, and it still works. Why? Belief. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'll tell you about mental illness, which I'm sure you wanted to talk about. The organizations are now promoting mental illness. I've heard stories of up to one in two have had mental illness in their lifetime. And the thing, the problem with that is this is people like Cam H who mm-hmm. need money. And they've got such a lineup that before they're advertising, people wait a year to get in. And then when they're in, they only give them six months and they got to get out. And they're promoting all this mental disease. And a lot of it's so, but a lot of it isn't. And they'll get 
lots of people coming in with all kinds of things, and then they'll get more money for research. I just don't think it's being handled right. I totally agree. And we talked to uh, Nareet Adler, a social worker, a couple of shows ago about this and that in, in at least especially in Canada, there are not a lot of um, psychologists, people who do talk therapy, hypnotists like you and, and people who work with the mind. So there's more psychiatrists, doctors who will just slap a label on you and then give you a prescription. That's right. Yep. And it's and it's like basically the, it's just masking something. If any, if it does work, uh, you're not changing your behavior, right? Ultimately, that's right. Yeah, it's probably it's probably worse here in the United States too because we're a a, a drug society. Uh, the the medical industry here is all about pharmaceuticals, so they just they push the drugs, they push the drugs uh, before even considering anything like hypnosis or 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 any other treatments. Oh, I, I, I see, I see a whole team of doctors, uh, every, t- every week or two. And none of them have ever asked me, number one, how am I feeling that they, they, they're not saying, are you eating your fruits and vegetables? Are you getting exercise? It's just how many, how much, how many milligrams are you taking? And, and mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. It's unfortunate, uh, yeah. that, that that's the case. Um, now I, I'm interested in, in finding out because, you're saying it's all about the belief system, and if you tell yourself that something's probably not going to work, then it won't work. So do you have to keep telling yourself that it will work before you – like if I deep down inside don't believe that hypnosis is going to work, but I keep telling myself just verbally out, out loud, yeah, it'll work, it'll work, even though I'm probably not thinking it will, is it over time that I'll convince myself – that it should work or well i would undergo it to see if it works mm-hmm. i wouldn't build up anything okay hey, let's do it right now on the show <laughs> all right he uh, well you can do it yeah. <laughs> is he gonna hypnotize me no i'm doing that already oh i'm already hypnotized yeah. <laughs> murray is amazing <laughs> right thank you uh, i just want to tell you that that um, I just took a quick look uh, on uh, pharmaceutical facts of, of the industry in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, and Pfizer's total revenue um, right now is it's $425 billion. Wow. Yeah. Well, and they bring drugs like thalidomide back and yeah. other drugs that have killed people. Yeah. Oh, and lithium is prescribed every day. That's yep. right. Yep, and it's just a zombie uh, drug, you know. And you want uh, going back to the belief system. Some people will get a headache. They take a pill, and their headache goes away, and the pill's not working for twenty minutes. Yeah. So what happened? Yeah. How did that happen? Well, I mean, there's placebo effect. Um, that's, that's what he's saying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you you could actually be given sugar pills, but if you believe they're going to you know, help you, they will help you. And you're double as bad if the doctor says to you, you might get a placebo effect from it. Well, then you're screwed. You yeah. Know? Yeah, that's the thing. They shouldn't, uh, they shouldn't mention that. They should just make you believe it. <laughs> so, so here's a question for you, uh, Murray. Uh, what are the biggest mistakes you believe doctors and specialists make uh, in treating 
and labeling people with mental illness, especially with, with depression, anxiety, and the OCD and bipolar. Well, I hate to say this, but I don't think doctors know what they're talking about. Uh, I, I told Ed you'd say that. They go right for the pills. They're listening. They, they don't know about the disease, really. Is I'm, I'm, talk, I'm not talking about a psychiatrist. I'm talking about a regular doctor. Right. Yeah, yeah, generally. If you're, if you're depressed, he's going to give you pills. Because his pharmacist, and she's beautiful, she comes in every Thursday oh, and yeah. pushes the pill, and that's what you get in a lot of cases. I'm not saying all doctors, but they don't know enough. They listen to the drug companies. Right. That's their, that's their job, to give you enough drugs to get rid of the disease, and, uh, and, and they don't send you to proper people. They're not, you know. They're not looking at the belief system. They're not looking at relaxation. They're not looking at all of that stuff. And I see it firsthand. So uh, it's all coming to fruition, all the things that you told me about uh, uh, for years. You know, and that, and and I see it. And I'm I'm basically saying to them, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? And it's all coming from your teachings. And then they go, yeah, we probably should. You know, it's like these double PhDs professors are like all of a sudden i'm talking to like you know bud uh bud abbott or something you know <laughs> well the the industry has progressed a lot faster than the doctors have they came right. out of school when none of this was around right did you believe then that that these that the doctors are pushing the medications that the pharmaceutical reps want them to push more so than they really give a crap about helping you ultimately? No, they believe in the medical uh, companies. They believe that pill will work for that. So they really, you believe they really do and not just rationalizing? They rely on the information they're given. Yeah. That's all. They don't know yeah. anything about drugs. As a matter of fact, I'd rather get drugs from the pharmacist. I'd rather him look at me than the doctor if we're going to get drugs. Yeah, yeah. Now, that's not to say that these drugs are not effective. I mean, there are many drugs that are very effective. The problem is being pushed those drugs too early. That's right. And and it's a matter of, you know, first, you know, before you, you start shoving drugs down someone's throat, let's let's explore. Let's figure out, uh, you know, let's talk to them. Uh, let's let's do a little investigation and, and not just start throwing drugs and seeing what happens. I've seen my my general psychiatrist for like 10 years now and I don't think he's ever asked me about my childhood. Yeah. <laughs> I mean it, it's it's uh the he's give in 10 years he's given me ad, good advice one time. Uh, I was feeling bad that day and he said, "You know what? Leave the office today and for the rest of the day talk with an English accent wherever you go." <laughs> and it, and Murray, you would agree that's a good that's that's good, right? That was perfect. And that's the only smart thing he ever said. I hope he's not listening. Schizophrenia, <laughs> you tell him, come back Monday, you'll feel better. If yeah. he believes All right, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> I said that in front of a group of psychiatrists one day. You tell them, I said, you tell them it's going to take five years and they'll feel better Then you're going to have them come to you for five years. Right. They right. agree. Well, uh, the, the going back to the hypnosis and the amazing uh power of the belief system um i told ed about the 
video, which he's going to check out on your YouTube page, where you had those realtors on stage and you had one particular thing. You did a lot of different fun things, but you had two, two women. You told them they were aliens and one of them had to translate for the other one. And yes. the one that was it only spoke alien. Uh, she just made up some kind of crazy. It, <laughs> it, it just blew my mind. That's right. They believed me. It, it, it's just where but did she get another, that from? That, that's another thing. When you're doing a stage show, they'll believe it because you're not again, you're not going to make a fool out of yourself. And you have uh, a credibility factor. Yeah. And they're coming up because they want to be right. That's amazing. Well, that's something that definitely we'll, we'll put up on the we're going to put up all of uh, uh, Murray's information on the resource page, but definitely also the uh, his uh, YouTube page because it's it's really funny. And uh, um, yeah, I've I've actually seen um, a few uh, hypnotist shows, uh, entertainment shows, and they they fascinate me. Uh, the very first one I ever saw was in um, junior high. And I was in the audience and it was very interesting because in my mind, I'm saying to myself, well, you know, this isn't, this is, you know, either fake or it's not going to work on me. And the hypnotist had everyone in the audience put out their hands straight in front of them and close your eyes. And they said, in your left hand, there is a feather. And in your right hand, there's a huge dictionary. Now open your eyes. And I opened my eyes and sure enough, my right hand was much lower than my left hand. And I couldn't believe it. I was shocked. Well, that's how you would pick out a subject for a stage show. Yeah, that's exactly what they did. Yeah. You walk around and you pick the ones that are. And you'll see that on that video that he uh, told you about. So it's, I mean, it's exaggerated where you make somebody talk like a chicken to say a certain word or there's foot stuck to the floor. But, but. In taking the entertainment away, think about how therapeutic this can be in the mental health profession. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's like it's uh, the power of the mind. It's it's your own mind doing it. It's not like Murray has magical powers. Yeah, no, but he's very bright. He's very good at what he does, and he's very influential. And he's he's a genuine guy. So like people. I think people have an immediate trust with him. Remember when you did the boat? Oh, you're going way back. Yeah, when you chartered the boat, and that's when you would take people out on the on a big yacht. Yeah, and and they would, uh, I would take them out for five to seven days and fix them. <laughs> These were people that if they didn't pay the price of a yacht trip, it wouldn't have worked. In other words. One woman came to me to stop smoking and uh, paid $500 for a visit. And her husband offered her $1,000 to stop smoking and he would give her a credit. I'll, and she said, no, but I couldn't have charged her $50 because she would, it wouldn't have worked. It was right. because I was so expensive. It worked. Yeah. So tell me, tell me something. I have a question for you. Uh, the, the way the world's headed now, um, you know, with respect to the current trends and technology and how we communicate with each other, a lot of texting, it's a lot of, you know, one-on-one uh, -on -one conversations. Like, what's your take on this? Do you think we're devolving, evolving? I think I would go 
with Dr. Seuss. <laughs> yeah. They say I'm old-fashioned and live in the past, but sometimes I think progress progresses too fast. <laughs> I think that it, where it's overwhelming our progress. I mean, yep. now you have in your cell phone things that would have cost you a million dollars years ago. Right. And we have no time. We're so busy. Well, you know what? I, and, and when I think of you, I think that the, the more if you have too much stimuli, you're not going to be able to let yourself be at a good, relaxed level. Because, you know, you and I might be having a conversation and I want to send you a, a picture by email. It's like, it's like too much sometimes. That's right. Right. It's crazy. And it's so like crazy. I take you from being relaxed and all of a sudden you got to go to work because I'm sending you all kinds of crap. And yeah. So I guess it's finding a balance then. Yes. And you do. And I, I would say Dalai Lama said it best when he says, I don't let anybody walk through my mind with their dirty feet. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Yeah. It's all there is to it. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to I want to switch gears a little bit here um, because I'm very interested in in magic. Um, yeah, here it, it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now this this is not you know 100 percent related to uh, mental health or anything, but it is psychological. So like ever since I've been a kid, I've I've been a huge fan of magic and sleight of hand. And you've uh, gotten very good actually. I've seen. Some well, magic. I'm out of practice now, but I I do enjoy uh, learning tricks and and reading all about magic. Uh, for me, I think it has to do with the psychology of misdirection and getting people to actually feel wonder and be delightfully surprised. Uh, what do you think is the reason that people enjoy being fooled? I mean, they know it's magic, it's not real, and that all you're doing is a trick, but but yes. they still love it, they enjoy it. Well, what, th what? They know it's not magic, they know it's a trick, but it's not magic. Yeah. Right, well, that's what I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, if I put metal coins through a solid table, um, they're interested because it's impossible. Right. Could those coins? It's not magic. It's impossible. I was right there and I saw it. Now, everybody's got that feeling when you see a good trick. Yeah. You, you, it's like you got it. Now, there's different tricks. Well, most of them on TV. Uh, our, our camera tricks. Yeah, yeah. It's changed. You see a guy pulling a person in half and two pieces of the body, and that's all camera tricks. Yeah, yeah. Now, I've always been much more interested in um, sleight of hand and close-up magic. Stage yeah. magic, stage magic for me is just, it's too... It's I, an I guess investment it's too, of millions of dollars. Right. And, and anybody could be a magic. All they have to do is point. Exactly. And buy something for a million dollars. And I can remember at, at like almost every family function that, that Murray attended, we had all the kids and they all wanted to see the coin through the table. Mm -hmm. But the thing about it is he was so good and they looked up to him so much that he had to do that trick like, what, 10 times over. But every time they were blown away, every time. <laughs> they don't pick up on it. It's just magic. Well, they taught me to be a better magician because kids, instead of looking for the coins going through the table, they'll be under the table looking for them coming through. <laughs> and, and it doesn't right. work that way. Right. So sometimes you have to tie up the children. 
<laughs> I do believe what what uh, what Ed was saying about the psychology of misdirection because I think that's where I like when you used to teach me the th you know some of the thumb tricks. Uh, that's where I went wrong is because I didn't have that confidence to pull off the misdirection part, and I think you knew that. Well, that, that's the toughest yeah. part because um, I knew how to do it, but I just. Uh, you know, uh, you would you would never get caught, and I'd get caught. You know, six out of uh, ten <laughs> times. You know? The only time that the hand is faster than the eye, I don't know if you've ever had this, but have you ever had a black eye? Yes. Well, then the hand can be faster than the eye. <laughs> it's about the only time. It's it's fascinating to me um, the 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 fact that you have to be confident um and and i think that goes with hypnosis as well uh sure. if you're a very confident hypnotist and a confident magician then people will believe anything uh it's when you don't have that confidence like me right now i don't have that confidence to pull off really good magic tricks uh because i'm i'm not really practiced so you know when i've tried to do some tricks for some friends i get nervous i stutter my hands will shake, and then I screw up the trick. <laughs> you used the wrong word. You yeah. said try. Ah. Yeah, that trying can't. Those are okay, let me just tell you something. One of my favorite quotes, if at first you don't succeed, so much for skydiving. Right. <laughs> Eddie Youngman. But we've been taught, if at first you don't succeed, try, try, try again. And if you try to sleep at night, you stay awake. Right. If you try to stay awake watching a good show, you fall asleep. If you try to remember, you forget. And if you try to forget, you'll remember it forever. Yeah. That that sentence he just said, I, I was burned into my brain more than like uh, who's on first. Because mm -hmm. like, you used to tell me that all the time. If you, if, if you ask somebody to do something and they say, I'll try, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's all there is to it. Just mm -hmm. like Yoda says, there is no try. That's right. Yoda is that now. There's a brilliant man. <laughs> yeah, but he just read your books. <laughs> uh, I think, yeah, that could be. Well, I, I, we, ha we have to at least, at least just get a little bit into, because you remember my, uh, you know, this ADD thing where I, I never made it through, a, through the first chapter of a book, let alone a book, but uh, Uncle Murray had written a book um, uh, based on a lot of some amazing feats that he did, um, kind of more, uh, uh, l less of a magician and more of kind of like an evil Knievel. Um, how did you get into that at that point in your life? Um, I had nothing to do. And I said, <laughs> I'll write a book. I did it in a day and a half. Wow. <laughs> no, but I meant about the like, like for instance, when you drove through uh, one of Montreal's busiest oh. streets blindfolded. Yeah, I I did uh, that. Like, tell us a couple of those things and how the hell you had the courage to do those things. <laughs> when I when I was at the Playboy Club, um, they I said I would drive a car blindfolded downtown Toronto, and they got somebody from the mafia to lend them their Cadillac. Oh, God. And I went out to do it and I put a blindfold on. And the guy who was the manager of the Playboy Club said, 
well, I'm sure it's going to work out very well. I said, it's the first time I've ever done it. And it would, I drove them nuts. Anyway, I drove, they got charged with conducting a parade without a license, a major disturbance in downtown Montreal. <laughs> I came back and uh, it was amazing. And the one thing that I thought was the most amazing part of it was my blindfold. I, w I finished the thing, I threw it on the table, and then I talked to them, and then I went to my place, and I took the... Nobody looked at the blindfold. <laughs> Isn't Amazing. that strange? Huh. That is strange. Well, it not really, because I didn't expect anybody to look at it. It was so natural with it, it didn't mean anything. It's the mis your mystique. Well, it's... I guess it's... Uh, you got to have the balls to do that, I suppose. Yeah, it comes, to lose. <laughs> it comes down to confidence again, and, and was the one that borrowed the Cadillac. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> and the and the straitjacket routine. Where did that, where'd you come up with that one? And I don't remember whether it was from a helicopter or it was underwater. Or what was that? I was on the Pierre Burton show and got out of it in thirty six seconds. I have done it upside down, hanging from a. Or whatever, but I think 36 seconds is a world record. Wow. <laughs> it could take me. I can't do it in 36 seconds now. Yeah. I guess you have to be pre in practice for that. <laughs> Two, three minutes it takes. So, so what's your overall take then on, on how we're treating doing a podcast and trying to make people um, believe in themselves more and being more self-aware. I mean, obviously you're for it, I guess, right? And we're trying to fight against, you know, going to a shrink and getting your medication. And uh, is it a, a, a losing battle uh, or do we just keep plugging? No, you got to take some things into your own hands as well. It's not a losing battle because um, if, your best friend, and I, both of you, if your best friend needed you for something very important and you were in a terrible mood, would you change moods to help your very best friend? 100%. Mm -hmm. totally. Well, I, I would go and I would help him. Uh, I still may feel the mood, but not as much. I, I can at least say that. That's but right. yes, I, I, yeah. I would do what I had to do, no doubt then doesn't it make sense that we really should at least be our own best friend? No, that's a huge Because we wouldn't treat really? ourselves like we treat ourselves, and we wouldn't let people treat our best friend like we treat ourselves. Yeah. But you should do things, and I'm, I'm talking about everybody, should do things that make them feel good. Like Victor yeah. Borgi says, the shortest route to another person is a smile. Yeah. And when you smile, somebody smiles back and you get that feeling. You know what? And it's a domino effect, too, because uh, like you and I, Murray, talked earlier today and you said something funny or whatever. And then we hung up and I immediately went and I picked up the guitar and I just started playing House of the Rising Sun, just thinking about the show. But it was yeah. the third time I picked up the guitar today. It's amazing. Yeah. And I and I can go three months without it. You know that. And yeah. And, uh, so, you know, it's a combination. Uh, uh, I, you know, I could never uh, forget 
uh, where my roots are uh, because Murray was the most important part of, of my family to yeah. me. So, uh, you know, here I'm officially thanking you for it. Well, um, I don't know why you would thank me. I love you. You're my nephew for crying. <laughs> no, no, I know that. But you know what? Um, uh, we, we don't all do everything right in our lives. But, you know, you've got five kids. Uh, and my cousin Joel has how many kids? What, eight kids? Uh, seven. Yeah, and they're like, uh, they own like thousands and thousands of instruments. They're always at home jamming together. Each kid is completely different, yet they're all incredible. Uh, and the same thing with your other kids. Like, you just had a knack for, I guess they just believed in you and where my parents had this distance and this hands-off approach. They just believed in themselves. Yeah, I always wanted you to be my father. You know, it was like, <laughs> it was just like, yeah. That's probably why I loitered at your house. And uh, But I did babysit a little bit. I don't know if you paid me, but. <laughs> How many times would you tell yourself to play the guitar if you were your best friend? Um, well, you know, yeah, uh, every the, I would sell my TV. Well, <laughs> just just the fact, Doug, that you're how good you are at guitar and how yeah. hyper focused you were at learning guitar, you know, shows that uh, you obviously cared. Um, most people, you know, they don't think they can do it, or or uh, they're like, oh, I'm just not good, and and whatever. I mean, I've always thought. You know, I, I'm nowhere near as good as you are at guitar, um, but you had that hyper focus for it. it. It drew you in. Yeah, but like I said, with the last time we talked about this, you look at it in a different way, like to say better. What's better? It's arbitrary. Like, you mean playing faster or, you know, more co more complicated pieces? I mean, I love the way you play. You know what I mean? So it's I think it's just if you feel good and, it's, and emotion is what's coming out of it, I don't think there's a better you know what yeah, I mean? No, absolutely. I mean, if you think about, you know, Steve Vai versus, uh, you know, David Gilmore, I love them both. Technically, Steve Vai can play much more complicated pieces of music than David Gilmore. But... Well, for, and for Murray, we can say like Les Paul versus Keith Richards or something, you know. Right. But they're just two different things. Who's Keith Richards? <laughs> uh, the Rolling Stones. I should have picked another one. Uh, 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 Roy Orbison. <laughs> or 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 Les Paul, you know, the Rolling Stones—they'll never—they'll never make it. <laughs> <laughs> That's your best one, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so you know what? I I learned a lot. I actually learned a lot more uh, because I've heard all all his stuff before, and uh, but the more I hear it, because I'm getting older and learning things, it the more you hear it, it it actually means something different each time even though it means um essentially the same thing you know what mm -hmm. i mean yes or at least i'm taking it in more because i should than i used to be i would fight it you know because nothing was going to be good nothing was ever going to work that's what i was taught well and think about how how everything you've gone through over all these years i mean you know just to to have this kind of uh, thinking again and have it affect you differently than it did when you were um, going through some of your harder times. Uh, I think it starts registering more and, and you start picking up more because you've,
been through so much that, uh, you know, you, you've grasped at straws, you, you've tried everything. Uh, and now finally, you know, you're, you're starting to realize that, uh, your mind, the way you believe things could actually change your mood could change everything. Well, I don't know if, if ultimately if Murray believes it, but you know, now that we've got the neurological side of the disease, um, working again, now I can focus on all those things that, that Murray taught and that we, you know, that we should believe. Right. Here's, here's one thing I'd like to say about that because, um, there is a neurological, uh, chemical unbalance. There's no question yeah. about it. Yeah. And what I'm saying is that when you pick up that guitar and yeah. you play it, the chemicals balance. Mm -hmm. And you have to do that more often. And I don't think pills can do that all the time. Right. No, pills can give you stomach aches and dry mouth and vomiting and... <laughs> Uh, you know what? And you know what's funny? And when Ed was talking about uh, the ability and all that, but I, today when I picked up the guitar, uh, frankly, like if I look back on it, I sucked because I have no calluses built. I haven't played in a while, but yet I enjoyed it. Yeah. And that's really, a, a, that's very telling. You want to develop a habit, then pick up the guitar at 10 o'clock every morning and in a week, it'll be a habit. Yeah. All of a sudden, you'll miss picking up the guitar. Do you believe in doing that, like setting at yeah. the same time every day kind of thing? Or you just mean do it at I least three times start, a day kind of thing? To start it, because you'll probably increase it. I see what you're yeah. saying. So you, you pick something specific, so it keeps your mind focused. Yeah, what's the difference what time you do it, except it'll develop a habit if you do it at the same time for a week. Yeah. Or every time, right after you shower, or every day after breakfast, or whatever. But you got to do it every day, just for a week, because then you'll probably go it a couple of times a day, right? And and what do you say to yourself when you try to talk yourself out of doing it? When you go to that place and say, "Ah, what the hell? It's not worth it." Am I my best friend? Hmm. Or yeah, Maya Angelou? Maya Angelou. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She says, "If I'm not good to myself." How can I expect anyone else to be good to me? Right. It's true. Well, we are our own worst enemies. I mean, that's... I, I know, but I, it's a terrible thing to believe. It, of course. I, that's unfortunate that we even heard that. Right. And, and there are people out there saying, I'm my worst enemy. Yeah. Well, stop saying it. Shame on you. Yeah. It's true. Yeah, the, Friend are you. A, and you guys have been best friends since you're small kids. Yeah. And both of you would jump for each other. Definitely. Be, yeah. And, and here's the other problem is when a friend jumps to help a friend, sometimes the friend just keeps turning it down and turning it down and turning it down and the other friend will disappear. Yeah. If they don't feel they can help. Well, and that's what's happening with family is, is that the, the sick person uh, 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 dissociates from them. Uh, and then the, then the family will dissociate and then learn to adapt without that person. Mm -hmm. That's human nature. 
And that is so dysfunctional. And it's the opposite of what you would recommend. It's a vicious circle, but when you're feeling good, it's a delicious circle. Right. Yeah. So I, I like what you're saying. I like that uh, if Thank you're you. feeling like you, you don't want to do something uh, or you're feeling down, to just tell yourself, am I my own best friend? Because you know what? We really all should be our own best friends. Well, we'll live a lot longer. Yeah. That's for sure. I mean, we tend to want to uh, help our best friends, uh, but we tend to hurt ourselves a lot of the time. And that's just, that's unfortunate. Well, without, without, getting, without getting yourself in trouble or getting too personal, uh, what is your speculation on how Ed's been able to deal with me unconditionally for 30 years where my family has not been able to? I guess uh, to shorten the word, I would say besties. Mm -hmm. You're best friends. I just think two best friends who think, you know, it's 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 something. It's gold. Yeah, it's like it's like I play uh, I play a line on the guitar, then he plays a line over top of it, and it just works. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and we finish each other's sentences, and yeah, I didn't, I, I wasn't friends with my family. They were just my family. And we said, we, I love you, but, you know, it's not the same as when I say I love you to you, Murray, or Ed, you know? Yeah. And I, and I don't really think it's unfortunate. I mean, we're not, you know, uh, we don't have to be. The, the bottom line is, uh, with family, there's always... There's always more underneath with family than, you know, there's drama, there's, it's family. Um, with friends, there's a little bit more of a, that separation and you can, for some reason, be more true with friends sometimes because there is no baggage. There is no, you know, history there or, you know, negative history, most likely. Exactly. But then mm -hmm. your mood also chooses who you want to be with. Yeah. No. Oh, yeah. You, yeah. You guys being yeah. best friends, well, you'd be with each other either moods. But the other thing we do is when we give people advice, good advice, we don't listen to that ourselves. Yeah. But that is exactly true. I mean, the, the, there's, I'm sure that I've probably come up with a record number of excuses not to go over to your house, Murray, and we're only, you know, 10, 15 minutes away when I'm bad. I'll make up whatever. And if I do go, I will will overcompensate and I'll bring food and because it's like not enough to just bring myself. Yeah. You, you, right, Murr? Hey, listen, I need the food. <laughs> Well, I know, I know, and Don't I feel good, you know. One. But I, it's like my mother, you know. You just, you just want to feed the poor kid, you know. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Well, uh, it was, uh, it was even more awesome having you on than I thought it would be, and and uh, I, I really want to thank you for doing this for us because because it really oh, gives people uh, the 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 history and really the bottom line on what you need to do for yourself. Yeah, thank you very much, Murray. This has been lots of fun and enlightening. My pleasure. Good chatting well, with you guys. Thanks, Murray. Thank you, Unc, and I love you. And uh, and uh, again, we'll get everything up on our resource page. 
Um, and especially a couple of those funny YouTube videos that you must see. Absolutely. Take care. Take care. All right. Take care. Bye. So that's our show for tonight. Uh, we want to thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. Please follow us on Twitter at unhinged PC and like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash unhinged podcast. Also be sure to check out our website. If you haven't done so already, it's at unhingedpodcast.com. We'll see you all next week. Take care.